Good to be with you again this morning at Morning Orchardville Church. And uh, congratulations, by the way, to all of our uh, students. Uh, whatever age you are, it doesn't matter. Congratulations to all of our students who have just finished up. Way to go, way to go. And you know what that means, right? When students graduate, it means that summer is here. I could not wait for this time every year when I was in school. It was the best time of year. And I don't care what the calendar actually says, because when the weather gets good and people graduate, it's summer. Am I right? I mean, it's summer. Now, uh, I, like, I like a church that's interactive because we're in this thing together. So I'm going to ask you, when it's summer, when, when we start thinking of summer, what do we start to think about? What are the things that come to our mind when we think summer? Barbecue. Barbecue. I love, whoever said that, I love you. <laughs> what else do we think of? Swimming, yep. Work, man, somebody, man, Lord help you. Good gracious. <laughs> We're going to have a healing at the end of the service this morning. So <laughs> what, what, what do we think of in the summer? Sleeping in. Sleeping in. Church camp. Okay, there's some people right now who want to bless you, Rick. <laughs> Come on, there's some things that people think of, and y'all haven't said them yet. Vacation! Come on, church! It's summertime, you start thinking vacation. You start thinking hanging out by the lake, waking up with a cup of coffee, looking out at the lake, looking out at the beach maybe, sitting on the deck of your cabin, looking at the woods. Man, life is good. And when you, when you have those moments, when you get into that vacation mode, right, how many of you have ever sat there looking out at the beach, looking out at the lake, looking at the mountain, whatever the case may be, and you think to yourself, I wish I could do this every day. Raise your hand. If you ain't raising your hand, you're lying, and you can't lie in church. <laughs> we'll have an altar call at the end of the service. So you think, man, wouldn't it be awesome if I could do that every day? And here's the thing, you can. It's called retirement. And some of our retired brothers and sisters are going, right, think again. I wish my retirement was working that way. But listen, in America, that's the retirement that we promote, right? Right? We promote that when you retire, you should be able to go where you want, when you want, and have what you want and do what you want because that's what you worked for. You earned it. Now, you may think that in church, I'm going to criticize that, but I, actually, I'm not. And here's why. Because God actually loves to bless his children. He actually does. And that includes material blessing as well. God loves to bless his children materially. There's only one catch to the material blessing is that when we get it, we're supposed to give what belongs to God back to him. We call that a tithe, that's 10%. But I'm not preaching on a tithe this morning. Everybody just look at somebody and go, whoo, he's not preaching on tithing. <laughs> All right, so whew, we feel a whole lot better now. But here's the truth. We would love to be able to live that kind of life every day. We would dream about a retirement that looks like that. But most people will never, ever, ever 
make enough money just in their regular income stream to have a, a life where they don't have to worry about anything else and they can do whatever they want to without it affecting the rest of their life. Most of us will never make that sort of an income. And so what we do in America is we work with other strategies to try to increase our income so that when we do get to retirement, maybe we can have that sort of dream retirement. And one of the, the most uh, normal ways that people in America sort of implement a strategy to help grow their, their wealth is by investing in the stock market. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what in the world does a stock market discussion have to do with church? Well, as we get to know each other over the months and the years that are ahead, you'll find out that I truly believe that genuine faith, properly understood and properly lived out, should pervade every part of our life. See, church and our faith is not just about what happens when we show up on Sunday. That's how a few too many Christians live in America today. It's not just about showing up to church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. It's how we conduct our lives all of the rest of the days of the week. And our faith should start to impact all of the other activities that we engage in. And it should start to sort of filter into how we look at things and the decisions that we make and how we go about doing them. And I would suggest to you this morning that genuine faith, properly understood and properly lived out, could actually even be applied to how we invest in the stock market. And so I believe this morning that we're gonna, in talking about the stock market, we can learn some really, really interesting lessons about our faith. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself, did he just say we're going to talk about the stock market? Yes, I did. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Don't tune out because there's, there was a guy that you may have heard of before. His name is Jesus. And, and he did some really weird teaching because when he, was, when he was here way back in the first century, he would tell stories, we call them parables. And those stories sometimes didn't sound like they had anything whatsoever to do with faith. They were just everyday, normal, ordinary circumstances in life. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the story, he would land that thing and all of a sudden it would make sense spiritually, right? Right, that's how Jesus taught, right? So I figure if that works for Jesus, I'll go to try it once in a while. So just hang with me this morning because we will connect some dots and we will land this plane and I believe when we're done, it's gonna have some genuine impact in how you understand your faith, okay? Are you with me? Everybody say, I'm with you. All right, good, 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 I feel better. All right, so before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, as we begin to sort of dive into the message today and we look at sort of an off-the-wall way of looking and describing our faith and understanding it, Lord, would you help us to, to just stay tuned in? Would you help us to, to not dial out and find another channel? God, help us to really reach in and understand that sometimes you want us to see what's going on in the world around it and then understand our faith through the experiences of everyday life so that then we can apply our faith to everyday life. So God, be real in this place this morning. Speak to every heart. May we hear you clearly and plainly. May we be changed by the encounter in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So, I wanna start with this little bit of a discussion about 
the stock in the stock market. And I know some of you know this stuff and some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. So I'm gonna share a few things. Some of you may already know it, but I wanna make sure we're all on the same page. All right, so when you invest in the stock, you're buying shares in a company. So what's a share? All right, so a share is part ownership in a company. That means you own just this little, 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 tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of a percentage of the company. We call that a shareholder. You become a shareholder in the company. And if the company makes money, what happens to you? You make money. It's a beautiful thing. On the other hand, if the company loses money, what happens to you? You lose money. That's not good. So we don't like it. We want to make money. All right? So if the stock goes up, you, you come out good. If the stock goes down, not so good. Now, before you can buy a share in a company, the company has to offer stock for share in the first place. So we call that an IPO. That is an initial public offering. It's when the company says for the first time, hey, we've sort of got our act together and here's what we wanna do. We wanna make this available to everybody who has an interest in what we're doing. And if you're so interested, you can put some of your hard-earned money into our company and if we make money, you make money. If we lose money, you lose money, but we're in it together. All right, so what I wanna do is I wanna give you a couple of, of different stock charts of two companies that went public at about the same time, all right? So the first one, I'm just showing you the whole, the whole slide of the stock chart. All right, so you can see what happens. This is a company called Tarpon Industries. Most of you have never heard of Tarpon Industries, and why? Because they didn't do good. Tarpon Industries tanked, all right? So they started off on the, on the top left, and when they came out of the gate on their initial public offering, it went up, and then it came down, and then went up a little bit more, and it came down, and then went up and down, up and down, up and down. But by the time they got through, it was pretty much worthless. Anybody want that stock? No. Come on now. <laughs> that looks really good in some places, but when you get all the way to the end, not so good. All right, so I want you to understand that when you look at a stock chart, sometimes it looks good, sometimes it looks bad, but you really don't know until you get to the end. So now we're gonna, now that you understand what you're looking at, I'm gonna take another one. I'm, we're just gonna see with this incredibly thorough lesson on stocks, we're gonna see how you do as a stock picker. All right, so the very bottom, that was the initial public offering of this stock. It went up, then it went down, and it went up a little bit more. All right, so right now, are you gonna hold on to this stock, yes or no? Okay, some of you are getting real. I'm, I'm getting out. I'm gonna take what little bit I can make out of this. I'm getting out right now. All right, so let me show, let's see what's next. You getting out now? How, how many of you are already upset with yourself that you got out? <laughs> Man, I knew I should have held on to that. All right, so this is looking pretty good. How many of you are still in? All right, all right, next. Oh, no, 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 no. This is not good now. All right, so now how many of you are gonna, gonna cut and run now? How many of you are hanging in there? Come on, you, this is participation, participation, participation. <laughs> I'm making up new words as I go. <laughs> all right, show me the next one. All right, so now what we've entered into is just a sort of a season of, eh, 
we're not really making any progress. And so here at this stage, we don't know if it's going to do better or worse. It's just sort of leveled out. How many of you want to hold on? All right, all right. So we got some, we got some people who are like real, real uh, warriors here. All right, next. Yes! Yes! You are wise stock people, and you didn't even know that this morning. Wow, I'm a good teacher. So, <laughs> all right, so at this stage, we're doing pretty good. Now, how about now? Give me the next one. Yes! How many of you are feeling really good about yourself right now? Excellent, excellent. All right, one more. Oh, man. This is sweet. This is the way it's supposed to work. Now, remember, it can crash from here. So are we staying in now or are we getting out? What are we doing? Okay, a lot of them are staying in. Who's getting out? All right, I got a few of them. I'm I'm cashing out right now, baby. All right, let's take one more. Ho! This is a little stock of a little company named Google. Now, some of you may have heard of Google before. They're they're not a well-known company. (laughs) But you can see what happened to the Google stock. Now, listen, y'all aren't experts, but you were figuring this out pretty good. I want to show you what some stock experts had to say before, before Google made their initial public offering. Like, so they're on the scene, they're working their stuff out, but they haven't made their stock public yet. And there were some stock experts that said this. They wrote an article, 10 Reasons Not to Buy Google. And they said, um, go to the bank, withdraw all the money that you save for Google's IPO, go home, stuff it under your mattress and sit on it. That is brilliant advice. Brilliant. And these are the smart guys. Let me give you a couple of the 10 reasons. Here's three of them that they said. Google is a self-contained little world in Silicon Valley. Their public relations department exhibits all the survival skills of a two-year-old wandering alone in the jungle. That is resounding praise, is it not? When push comes to shove, they cry or pout or throw a tantrum or they have no comment. That's all they can do because they know little about the big world out there, which is full of social issues that cannot be reduced to mathematical algorithms. These are brain surgeons, I'm telling you. They also said Google has excellent brand recognition, but how much more saturation of the mass media can we expect before journalists get sick of it? Everybody is sick of Google, aren't they? All right. And the last one I want to share with you, Google is ruled by a triumvirate, Larry, Sergey, and Eric. These three are very good at being geeks, but not good at much else. So don't put any money in Google. These are the experts. Now, let me just share with you that Google, uh, and when Google went public in its initial public offering, you could buy a share of Google for $85 a share. All right? Now, I saw Bo, the financial wizard over there. He already got out before we got to the end of the stock chart, all right? So, Bo, thank you for that. That was a good choice because on Friday, Google, which you could buy for $85 a share when it went public, sold for $1,069.64. That was a great move, Bo. 
$85 to $1,069. If you knew that now, you'd go like rob your mama to go buy shares because it's going to go crazy. But the experts could not get that right. So what have we learned so far? Here's a few things that we know about stocks. You really don't know what it's going to do. You don't know how the company is ultimately going to perform. The experts could not have been more wrong. If you buy, it's your hard-earned money that is at risk. And we know that great risk can bring great what? Reward or great loss. All right, so when there's great risk, it could be really good or really bad. There are safer ways to grow your money and there are safer places to put it than the stock market. But here's the thing, it's a slower growth and it's a much lower return. That's why it's safer. All right, so with all of those things in, in mind and all of that understanding that you have now of how stock works, I want everybody to pick a partner because you're gonna have a discussion between two of you. All right, so everybody pick a partner right now. I'm gonna give you a scenario and then the two of you are going to discuss what you're gonna do with this scenario. All right, everybody got a partner? Because this is full participation. All right, so it is 1920. Man, it feels good to be young again, doesn't it? <laughs> it it's 1920. And you are just an average, ordinary citizen. You, you work hard. You don't make a lot of money. But you believe in America. You believe in the, in the promise of capitalism. And so you, you've got a little bit of spare money, and you want to try to create this retirement. And so one year ago, you bought stock in a company that went public for the first time at $40 a share. Now, in 1920, $40 a share is a lot of money. That's pretty expensive. So you put your hard-earned money, which you don't have a lot of, at risk at $40 a share one year ago. Today, it's 1920, it's worth $19 a share. You have lost a little over half of what you invested. So here's what I want you to have in this real quick 60 seconds conversation between two of you. Do you cut your losses right now? Do you cut your losses and preserve what you've got or do you hang in there? And why did you pick which one you pick? Quick, 60 seconds between the two of you. All right, now I need a show of hands here, and we need, it's church, so we got to be honest. Okay, you've lost over half of what you put in, and money's, money's tight. So, how many of you are saying, I'm going to cut my losses, I'm getting out? Raise your hand. Okay, quite a few of you. How many of you are saying, I don't care 
I got, I got so much, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> How many years? I'm, sta- I'm sticking in. All right, quite a few, man, more than I thought. All right, now, why, for those of you who are getting out, why did you get out? Let me hear, why did you get out? What's that? Depression's coming, but you don't know that yet. <laughs> we got a prophet already. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, why are you getting out? Those, whoever got out, why are you getting out? Scared. You're scared. Okay, I don't, it, it's, just, it's just too much risk. Right, I got, I got kids to feed. I got things I got to take care of. I cannot afford to possibly lose more. All right, somebody who's staying in, why did you stay in? In it for the long run, okay. What else? You haven't lost anything until you sell it. Okay, well, you haven't lost anything until you sell it. You're right, George. But what if it goes to zero, man? <laughs> All right, wow. I love warriors, man. I love it. All right. So, some of you are bailing out. And that's okay, it's understandable. Quite a few of you are staying in. All right, so now I'm gonna give you a second scenario. And I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing, talk real quickly amongst yourselves. The only difference in this scenario is it's the exact same thing. But here's the difference. Not only do you own shares, but you're the CEO of the company in question. So do you bail on the company now or do you continue to stay in so quick question staying in bailing out and why Okay, so just out of curiosity, now that you're the CEO of the company, is there anybody now that still wants to bail out as the CEO? All right, there's just a few of you. How many of you are, I'm like, I'm in now. I'm CEO, I'm in. All right, so that's, that's virtually everybody. Now, I want you to think about this. Why? is your answer different between being a shareholder and being a CEO? I would suggest to you this morning that when you're thinking as a CEO, you just think differently than a shareholder. Why? Because you have more knowledge of the company, you have more awareness of its genuine inherent worth, and you have more input into what can be done to make it good for everybody else, right? When you're a shareholder, you're thinking what's in it for me. If the stock goes up, I make money. If it goes down, I lose money. I don't wanna lose money. And so if it doesn't look good, I'm out. But if you're a CEO, you're not driven so much by what the stock is worth at any given moment in time, are you? 
because you have a completely different picture of what you see when you look at that company. Now, for those of you who wanted to get out in scenario one where you're just a shareholder, would your answer be different if you knew what you know today and the company that you bought shares in was Coca-Cola? Well, of course they would be different. I'm not getting out of Coca-Cola. Why, why would they be different? Why would you hang on? Well, you would hang on because you know what it's going to wind up being, right? I know the long-term value. I know that it's going to be worth so much more than I started with. There's no way that I'm getting rid of that. And it's not a risk if you know what the end result will be. And if you know that the end result is going to be really, really, really good, you're willing to risk a little bit of pain in the short term for what will be a long-term gain. Now, just so that you know, that $40 share in Coca-Cola in 1919, that one share, because of dividend reinvestment, that one share that cost 40 in 1919 is worth $5 million today. How many of you want to jump in your time machine and go back and put a few dollars in Coke? All right. So what does that have to do with church? Open your Bible, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is the first book after the Gospels. Acts chapter 2. If you're familiar with this chapter in the Bible, you know that this is Pentecost. And you may or may not be aware that today is Pentecost Sunday. Now, what is Pentecost Sunday? If you don't know, Pentecost Sunday is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples and, and being with people and around people to verify his resurrection from the dead. And then when he returned to heaven, he told his disciples to wait until they, they uh, to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. And that was 10 more days. And after those 10 days, that is what brings us to Acts chapter two, which happens to be the day that we're in church right now. This is Pentecost Sunday, 2,000 years ago roughly, on this very day is when this took place. So beginning in verse one, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place and suddenly there was a sound from heaven. I'm reading out of the New Living, by the way. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem and when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear uh, their own languages being spoken by the believers. And they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, 
Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, all of these different people. And they said, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. So Peter began to preach. Skip over to verse 36. As he was beginning to wipe, uh, kind of wrap up his sermon, verse 36, he said this, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Long time, he preached a long time. So sometimes it's good to have long sermons. I'm not saying that's what we're gonna do, but sometimes it's good to have long sermons. All right, so he preached for a long time. And uh, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked, crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Church, the day of Pentecost is the church of Jesus Christ's initial public offering. That is when the church that Jesus died for to institute, that's when it was made available to all who said, I wanna participate in this thing that you're offering right now. I wanna be a part of who you are and what you're doing. So in light of IPOs being about companies, what is the business of the church? Because sometimes I think we get a little confused about what the business of the church is. And I wanna tell you this morning, I believe from the scripture that the business of the church is spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, inviting people into a commitment to following him, giving their life to him, and then helping them live out that commitment on a daily basis. That's the business of the church. We need a better amen than that. Man, that, it's, it's not so we can all sing kumbaya all the time. The business of the church is spreading the good news of the gospel to people who haven't committed their lives to Jesus yet and then helping people live that out. Amen? amen. That's why we're here. And so you want to talk about an amazing initial public offering, they had 3,000 that responded to the invitation to participate and were baptized right then. Now, we know from the way that the Bible does things, when they counted people back then, they usually only counted the men. So that means that they started in their initial public offering with probably anywhere from eight to 10,000 people diving in and saying, I want to be a part of who you are and what you're doing. I gotta get some of that. Now, what were they buying into? 
They were buying into a lifestyle. They were buying into a retirement plan like no other. In fact, their retirement plan promised eternal rewards for walking with God faithfully and serving him faithfully, and they were buying into a lifestyle that would equip them to live that out and accomplish the purpose that God put them here for. That's what they were buying into. It was an amazing beginning. Now, I got to tell you, as somebody that spent uh, several years in professional sales after I got out of the army, it's really easy to sell when everybody's talking about your company. It's really easy to sell when everybody wants what you got. Do I have anybody in sales in here this morning? I have a few of you. There's nothing better than when there's a buzz about what you've got to offer, right? Am I right? It's like, you don't have to, you don't have to work at it. You don't have to, to make it happen. When everybody's talking about what you got, that is a great time to be in sales. And can we all admit this morning that based on what we just read in Acts chapter two, this was an exciting time to be a part of the church there in Jerusalem in this first century. Can we agree to that? It was heady stuff. And when we look at the end of chapter two, beginning in verse 44, it says, all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. That is an incredible church. That is an incredible beginning. But what's so amazing to me about that is that it didn't end at that. It keeps going. The last part of that verse says, in each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every day the number was growing. Every day the number was rising. It was going up, 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 up. If, if, if there is such thing as a definition of Google Christianity, this would be it. Right, you remember the stock part, uh, chart of Google started at 85, is now worth $1,069. First century church and Christianity, that was Google Christianity. Everything is going as good as it can possibly go. It was exciting. But how about a century or two later? If you're a Christian in Rome, when Christians were being thrown in the Colosseum and mauled by wild animals, what if you're a Christian in Rome when they're being used as human candles to light Roman gardens? Do you think that the Christians in Rome saw that initial public offering of the church in the same exciting way as those first century Christians in Jerusalem? Do you think that it looked quite as good to them? No. I want you to think of this early church experience like a, a stock chart this morning. And remember that an IPO is the first time a company says to the public, you can participate in what we're doing. You can participate in the success of this company and everybody gets excited because we love new things and we love to see things succeed. We wanna be a part of that. And it is truly exciting when it does begin to succeed because everybody wants to be a part of a winner. But when a company starts tanking or the value of a stock starts tanking, then people start jumping ship 
like rats jumping off a sinking ship. I mean, they don't want to be a part of it. And after a while, it can, find, it, be, it can be hard to find anybody that still believes and wants to hang on. The church exploded out of the gate in Acts chapter 2. Everybody was buying, but a little over 100 years later, it didn't look so good. Christians were now being persecuted instead of being celebrated. In Acts chapter 2, they enjoyed the good favor and the, of all the people, but 100 or 200 years later, it wasn't good favor anymore. There's a guy by the name of Philip Schaff. He was a theologian and a church historian in the 1800s. And he shares a couple of insights into those difficult days in, in the second and third centuries. I'm going to read a couple of, uh, of insights that he shares. In AD 177, under the reign of Aurelius, here's what, he, here's what he quotes. The corpses of the martyrs which covered the streets were shamefully mutilated, then burned, and the ashes cast into the Rhone River, lest any remnants of the enemies of the gods might desecrate the soil. They had Christians in such low regard that not only would they burn them, they'd throw the ashes in the river so that their ashes wouldn't be in the soil because they didn't want to offend the gods. He quotes Clement of Alexandria in saying this, under the reign of Septimius Severus from 193 AD to 211, many martyrs are daily burned confined or beheaded before our eyes. In AD 303 and 304, we read this, Christian churches were to be burned, all copies of the Bible were to be burned, all Christians were to be deprived of public office and civil rights, and last, all, without exception, were to sacrifice to the gods upon pain of death. In other words, if you're not going to sacrifice to our gods, then we'll just sacrifice you. You're not going to stay alive if you're not going to do it the way that we say that it needs to be done. Then one last quote. All the pains which iron and steel, fire and sword, rack and cross, wild beasts, and beastly men could inflict were employed against the church. Who wants to be a part of that church? Now see, here's where we see some really interesting contrast in these comparisons. Because when a stock and a company is crashing, everybody runs for the hills. And if this was a stock chart, as the church, it would be looking really bad. This stock is crashing. We came out of the gate and everything was up and to the right. We're in good favor with all the people. People are being added daily. And 100 or 200 years later, they're being slaughtered like animals. And if it's a stock, this looks about as bad as it can look. And if you're a shareholder, I'm selling. I am not buying and I am not holding on to this. But interestingly enough, in spite of the persecution, Christianity continued to thrive. Why? Because of commitment, which is a word that you heard George use earlier, and perseverance. See, these early believers, 
they held their faith like a CEO and not a shareholder. They believed in the genuine inherent value of their faith. And it did not matter what it looked like at a given moment in time. They said, whatever happens, I don't care. I own my faith. I believe in what's coming and I will not bail. And you and I are here today in large measure because there were brothers and sisters in Christ who persevered through enormous difficulties. Life is full of ups and downs. And it's no different for us as Christians. Now, for a lot of you, you will remember that when you came to Christ, that was an exciting time in your life. I mean, it felt like everything changed at that moment that you said yes to Jesus. Some of you are nodding your head. You remember. It felt like a weight had been lifted off of your shoulders. The sun was shining again. There was a spring in your step. Life was good. Your spiritual stock was rising. You could not have been happier to be a follower of Jesus Christ because he let everything start to look better than it had before you said yes to Christ. But just like a good stock chart, it's not always going to go up, 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 up. Sooner or later, the stock of your Christianity is going to take a hit. It's going to start trending down. And here's what happens when that happens. The devil jumps in and he says, this thing is tanking. You need to sell now. You need to get out while you can. You need to cut your losses and run. Or sometimes he'll say, this church is not acting like it ought to. It's not functioning the way that it should. You should bail now. Get out while you can. Run for the hills. And what happens when we start to find ourselves in those situations in our personal life, in our faith, or in our church life, is we've got to decide whether we're going to hold our faith and our commitment to our church like a shareholder, what's in it for me? Or are we going to think like a CEO and say, I know the inherent value of what I hold and I will not give up because I know what it's worth and I will persevere no matter what happens because I am going to hang in there because God is good. Come rain or shine, come hell or high water, I'm in it. In our American culture, see, we love those early days of an IPO because it's exciting. We love exciting. And we want our faith to be like that IPO period of the church, right? We want to have Acts chapter 2. You can't read Acts chapter 2 and not wish you were part of that church. If you do, then you need to check your faith. You cannot read Acts chapter 2 and think, man, I would have loved to have been a part of that church. We want our faith to look like that, to feel like that all the time. But it's not going to happen that way. In fact, the Bible makes absolutely no promise 
of ease. And in fact, I would tell you it tells the exact opposite. John 16, 33 from the NIV, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Why? Because in this world you will have what? Trouble. Brothers, sisters, teenagers, young people, in this world, you will have trouble. It is not going to be Google Christianity all the time. It is not going to constantly be going up and to the right. It is going to get hard. But Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so that you can have peace. Why? Because I've overcome the world. I've already taken care of it. It may get hard for you, but the end, the stock is going to rise. No matter what it looks like right now, it's going to rise. I already beat death and hell. <laughs> like, take heart. Listen, the Christian life is not going to be one happy-go-lucky day after another. And your church life is not going to be one happy-go-lucky Sunday after another. And all of those difficult times, we need to really understand, are we shareholders of our faith? Where what's in it for me? And as long as it's good, as long as I'm making money, as long as I'm getting what I want, as long as I'm happy, I'm in. But if it gets hard and it gets rough, I'm out. Are we going to be shareholders of our faith? Or are we going to be CEOs of our faith where we know the value and we're going to work to make it everything that we know it is and everything that it can be? See, the writer of Hebrews said this in conclusion. And I'm from the Amplified Version, he said, But we do strongly and earnestly desire for each of you to show the same diligence and sincerity. Read these next words. All the way through. All the way through. In realizing and enjoying, read the next part. All the way through the full assurance and development of your hope until the end. You know why? Because when you persevere all the way through all of those things that God has promised, all of the rich, beautiful things that He has promised, absolutely, positively will come true they will come to fruition and he says just hang in there church are we shareholders or are we ceos i'm going to ask our worship team to come back to the platform as we prepare to respond to what god is saying this morning as some of you here this morning, I mean, the idea of eternal rewards and, and what God offers, I mean, that sounds really good to you, but you go, how do I buy in? How do I buy into that? Peter said in Acts chapter 2, he said, repent, turn to God, and be baptized. 
See, it, it, all the money in the world, whatever you got in your pocket, you can spend every dime of it and you can never buy salvation. You can never buy what God offers because he's already paid for it. What it takes is for you to repent. Say, Lord, I, I'm giving up trying to buy this on my own. I'm giving up trying to work it out on my own. I come to you, Lord, I confess my sin. I confess my inability to earn my way there. Lord, I receive the gift of salvation that you already bought and paid for on the cross. Turn to God and be baptized. We'll give you a chance in a moment, if that's you, to come and say yes to Jesus for the very first time, to buy in to the church, to buy into salvation. Some of you are here this morning. And if the truth be told, you've lived more like a shareholder than a CEO in your faith. And you're almost ready to bail. It's gotten hard, hasn't been fun anymore, and you're almost ready to bail. The difference between shareholder faith and CEO faith says, I know Jesus. He said, I am the alpha and the omega. I know the beginning from the ending. He's already told me what the ending is going to be. And I am not going to cash out. I am staying with God all the way through. Some others of you, you've sort of already decided, I'm not quitting, but you're not investing anymore. Right? I'm not, I'm not selling my stock. I'm not, I'm not cashing out, but I'm not, in, I'm not putting anything else into this. I'm not investing another dime. God's promises are true regardless of what you and I do. And his promises are great. We need to respond in a way that says, I believe what the Lord said and I'm going to give everything I've got. So church, whether you need to say yes to Jesus this morning, whether you need to move from a shareholder approach to your faith to a CEO mindset approach to your faith or whether you need to say, I need to start investing again. This altar's open. People will pray with you. Would you stand and let's, let's respond to what the Lord says. Father, as we open the altars, I pray that you will move in every heart. God, let no one leave this morning with undone business. For those who need salvation, God, give them the courage to take that first step. For those who need to invest more of themselves in the life of the church and in their faith, God, help them move right now. God, whatever is going on in people's hearts and lives, Lord, may you be honored with what's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the altar. Let's do business with God, church.
Amen, church. Come on. you got to do. Don't be a shareholder. Own your faith this morning. Own it. giving your best to the Lord? Are you giving your best to Orchardville Church? Are you all in this morning? we thank you for the day we thank you for how you held nothing back from us God we give you praise for that this morning Lord help us to hold nothing back from you help us to hold nothing back from each other Lord to give our all because you deserve that and more God we give you praise for who you are we give you praise for what you've done in Jesus name All God's people said, amen.